This video contains major spoilers for the books. If you have not read the entire series, certain elements will be revealed to you for the first time here instead of their proper context. Continue at your own discretion. I'm Max. I'm Glenn the Geeky Hippie. And tonight we have a special guest. We have coming with, to us from all the way from the threefold land, Grace, Maiden of the Spirit. Grace, tell us about yourself and your show. Hi. Well, thank, first of all, thanks for having me. And my name's Grace, aka Bane and Chiad on Twitter of Time. And I'm also part of an awesome talk show, uh, usually on Thursday nights, but temporarily we've moved to Tuesday nights. It's a live stream run by Malkir Talks as our token wetlander. And then we've got a revolving door of three different maidens and two wise ones. And sometimes Nakomi sneaking in and out, uh, joining our live stream each week. And we talk about all things Aiel. We talk about Wheel of Time news and we play games and we discuss tier lists and stabs. Stabs is a big part of what we stabby, like to discuss. Stabby, stabby, Hashtag stabby, stab. Melinda is really big on that, I've noticed. She is, yeah. We've got uh, gifs of her doing stabby stabs that are pretty amazing. And it's called Threefold Talk? Yes, Threefold Talk. Did I not share the name? I should probably right. have shared the name. <laughs> That's all right. Threefold Talk, and you can find us at, at Threefold Talk on Twitter. Uh, and you can also subscribe to Malkir Talks' YouTube channel, and you can find us there. All right. Great to have you with us. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for sitting in for Rebecca. She wasn't able to make it tonight. We all miss her. We miss having the wisdom with us, especially for our premiere episode of the actual show. It's not a prologue anymore. Here we are. The Wheel of Time has dropped. It's on Amazon Prime. And hopefully everybody out there has seen the first three episodes. I'm ready to talk about them. Now, we've got an itinerary for the way we discuss our shows when we do our reviews. We've got several segments that we'll be talking about during each episode. And we're going to start with what we call the want take. That's the outstanding, whether good or bad moment of the episode. Max, why don't we start with you? Well, from episode one, it would have to probably be the bright pole. The what? The bright pole. Yeah. Where Dynave gets captured. You didn't like that? Or you liked it? Was no, I it liked it. Good that. or bad? Like... You think it was great? What was it about it that you liked? The action segment of it, just the surprise of not expecting it. Okay. The, oh, shit. Yeah, that did catch me off guard. Bane, what do you think about that? About the braid pull? Yeah, the trial, grabbing her by the braid. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely not expecting that at all. Um, and it was definitely really well done. And I enjoyed watching the behind the scenes of how they actually did it. Um, I don't know if you two saw that, but it looks like, yeah, definitely check out the behind the scenes. Uh, and the stunt woman who was demonstrating it is actually the woman who's playing Tigraine, um, who's also a stunt woman. And uh, they demonstrated that they didn't actually pull her hair. Obviously, they yeah. they used just a long um, cord that she on her that was attached to her harness, and uh, just with her ponytail up, kind of hiding where the trolloc had his hand. It's really cool. Yeah, I saw that just before this. Okay, I didn't. I missed. I didn't catch that. That's on the Prime Channel. 
yep. or the Prime website? The X-ray extra features, okay. yeah. Yeah, it's only in the episode on X-ray. They in did the add episode. some. Okay. Uh, yep. They did add some extra behind-the-scenes stuff on the regular page. That so, wasn't there the other day. Right, I think they were and... uh, talking about the episodes. Each episode had its own behind-the-scenes. Grace, what was your what take for this episode, good or bad? Uh, mine was the Beltine attack. Uh, in particular, how it started. It was just so unexpected with poor Tom getting stabbed through the chest. Tom Fane. Um, <laughs> is his last name Fane? Fane. Oh, Fane. Okay, That's I was John wondering. Son. Yeah, I was wondering if it was an actual character because I didn't remember a Tom. Um, I was hoping maybe it would be like Ewan Fingar or something. But uh, yeah, I thought that was just so great in terms of the uh, shock value of everyone dancing and having fun and all of a sudden it was just really well done. And it- Sorry, that was my phone. I forgot <laughs> to mute my phone. So <laughs> I was like, I, what I happened? <laughs> somebody behind me is going to make a smart comment in the video when I edit this telling me to turn off my Tarangriel. <laughs> um yeah, so and I thought I think I saw a few people say this. It looked like there was an arrow coming through his chest at first. And then you realized it was actually just the point of that horrible jagged axe that the Trolloc had. Anyway, it was gross, it was shocking, and I loved it. And the whole events that followed just seemed so realistic um and just really disturbing, uh, which I enjoyed quite a bit. For the most part, it was realistic. I had some issues with some of the CG towards the latter half of the whole Winter Night Beltine battle sequence. When Moiraine started doing her channeling, especially when she did that up and then down and then through, it it looked like her and Lan and the Trollocs that were all lit up by her, her channeling we're on an entirely different frame rate than everything else. And it threw me out. It, it, it put me in, it was in the uncanny valley for me. And it, I noticed it really badly the first time I watched it on streaming, the first, when it first dropped. And I think that was because everybody was trying to stream it at once and everything was really choppy. But when I downloaded it through Prime and then watched it later, it was still kind of just, it was just, the picture just didn't look right during that those sequences that everything lit up for her, by her channeling didn't look right. Everything else about the fight sequence from the moment the Trollocs attack to the end of the episode looked great. I'll agree with you there, but that everything around her channeling just didn't quite look right to me but the trollocs are amazing so i love the practical effects of the trollocs yeah even like in the behind the scenes video which you haven't seen yet they look amazing yeah like scarier than an orc for the cgi one of the complaints that was pretty common was when moraine like split the one in half by going in on ave that one is like it's just i've seen a lot better it just did not work yeah. The uh, one of the things I noticed while I was just doing a quick review, uh, like in the behind the scenes, we see them pulling the trollocs to make them like fly, and those scenes look great. 
but in the CGI and all the post-editing, they did some random slow-mo. So he'd fly back in real time, and then one Trolloc flies back, and they'd slow him down for no reason. And it kind of gave it that little cheesiness to it that was like, why'd you slow him down? Yeah. For me, the one I meant for, well, it's actually two moments. It's the two moments where you see Matt being really protective of his little sisters. Because that that shows Matt. I mean, we don't get really to see much of Matt's personality in the first two books. Not really at all. We only see Shatter, Logoth, Dagger, Matt. We don't see Matt Coffin. And the Matt Coffin we learn about in later books, we're actually getting to see before he gets tainted by the dagger. And the best way to do that is to show him taking care of these two little sisters. And it just, it, it warmed my heart seeing him. Now I understand why his sisters are so much younger than him on the show than they are in the books. Now I understand why his parents are who they are on the show compared to what they are in the books. You know, I was pissed when I first heard a couple of weeks ago what they did to his parents for their, the, their background. I was like, why are you doing that to Abel Coffin? And now I'm like, oh, it's for Matt. It, it lets Matt shine before you have to corrupt him with that damn dagger. It's so that people actually see the change and who Matt is, see him fall, and feel the pain of watching him fall before he's fixed and healed, you know, that dagger's re removed from him. And so him taking, you know, taking care of his daughters, you know, in the beginning when his mom's drunk as shit, and then him going out and risking his life, running through these Trollocs attacking to find his sisters and get them outside the village. Those are my, that, those are my favorite moments. And so I would mention on that is that it brings out that he is not the bloody hero while doing heroic things. He's no bloody hero. Yeah. No. And he's always saying, I'm no bloody hero. Most he heroes ahead, say that. You know. And most heroes say that. They're no bloody hero. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's, that's why I give it to Matt. Oh, yeah. Episode one. Without yeah. a doubt. I, I'm in love with show Matt. I think they did a brilliant job with his character and... Um, yeah, I could go on about it for a long time, but totally and agreed. And his casting. Oh, Barney it was fantastic. Was, I mean, I knew Barney was going to be good when I first saw the picture of him, but he's just unbelievably better than I expected him to be. So yeah. much better than I expected him to be. And it just, they, they haven't done, done any wrong yet with Matt, in, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely a standout character, standout performance, for sure. You know, ever since I saw his, uh, the preview from his movie Star Child, I think it was called. With the Star, Boy. Thing. Star, Star Boy. Boy. Star Boy. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that was Matt. Especially with Dagger Matt. Yeah. Ready to move yeah. on to Tavern of the episode? Sure. Definitely. Grace, start yeah. With 
Well, just this actually is a good segue uh, from the Matt talk. My Taviran was Juliet Howland as Natty Cawthon. I thought okay. she just, you know, for such a short time on screen, she was incredibly effective. Um, just a really great performance. My heart really went out to her. Um, and just, I don't know, I was kind of starstruck by her in that moment. I thought she was fantastic. She was really amazing. And kind of prophetic of episode three. But yeah, she was good. Yeah. What do you think of it, Max? She's good. Um, you know, my Taverin of the episode would be someone else right now, but not sure if we're still going natty. My brain just died here. Sorry. It's all right. No <laughs> worries. We can go on to it. yours. <laughs> Let's move on to yours. But what do you have to think about Natty? I I thought she was pretty good. Um, it it like I said, it ties into why I think Matt was so good. You know, and she played a large part in that. Um, and it, so, yeah, I can see why she would say that. I've got a different answer myself, but let's hear yours. You know, it's tough. If we're talking about just straight up acting, you know, Egwene was pretty remarkable throughout the episode from what we got of her. Uh Moraine was decent, I guess. Land didn't say a damn word. <laughs> um, Aaron's arc was pretty good. But I can't help but love Nynaeve's scream at the Trolloc. <laughs> I mean, from the trailer, I wasn't really impressed with her acting in that first scene. But the rest of it, I liked what she did. Yeah. So, I'd say there's a lot of ties for me, but I, I just can't get past the scream of the troll lock. I mean, if you got ties, go for a tie, because see, I, I cheated. I went outside cast. I went crew. Kelly Valentine Henry, her casting agency, because <laughs> she really did put it together. I mean, I have yet to see a mistake in casting since the show started. I had Wondered about casting with, you know, on the lead up to it. Didn't know if everybody was right for their parts, but as of yet, I have yet to see a single person perform below expectations or, heck, most people have exceeded my expectations. Everybody has been perfect and spot on, especially, oh my goodness, especially Pat and Tane. Oh, wow. that, yeah. that, that, that entire sequence, that was Pat and Bane. Every moment he was on the screen, he, it screened Pat and Bane. And it was just, but every, every person she cast, everything, everything her casting agency has done, even all the extras look right, you know. And that's, that's for all three episodes so far. But, you know, I did pick others for the next two, but I easily could have stuck with her for all three for the as Taveran. Because without her, I, I mean, everything ties back to her. It's, I mean, she really is every, the, the thread that everything ties around. You know, there's been talk about a lot of this first episode was cut down from like maybe two hours down to one. Yeah. 
I would really like to have seen more of Egwene's father because, like, the one line of dialogue he had, I was not impressed with. He had two. I remember he, just the one. He, but he, a... he, ta- he talked after, after the bar closed hmm. when they were cleaning up. I just remember the first one where he was talking to Egwene. It's like, it just, just off a bit. I don't know what, what about it. But it's like, I wish we had more lines to really appreciate his acting. Yeah. That would have been nice. All right. So up next is, did anybody actually have a dragon's fang? That's an optional. Something so horrible that you just couldn't stand it. Not really. I do. <laughs> I do. And I I I'm pissed at Rafe Judkins. I'm really pissed at Rafe Judkins. I think he should have listened to Brandon Sanderson. Um Perrin killing his wife. Neither the audience nor Perrin needed that. This is self-loathing that Perrin will now have to go through that is entirely different than the type of self-loathing he would have gone through for killing two white cloaks that killed Hopper. And it's totally different than the type of self-loathing he would have gone through if Rafe had listened to Brandon and had it be Harold Lujan that Perrin killed by accident. We have an unnecessary character added to the story to give Perrin angst, self-loathing, doubt, and misery when they could have just stuck with Harold Lujan and killed him off that way. Or not even gone that way and just stuck with them meeting the White Cloaks and kept that storyline And Perrin killed two white cloaks, which he felt like shit about to begin with. (sighs) Yeah. So, yeah, this this was a really unnecessary. Rafe gets a big old dragon's fang on his garage door. And his front door, and his back door, and every single window, and the windows of his car. Rafe gets all the dragon fangs this week. I'm going to withhold judgment until I see how the season plays out. Uh, I wasn't a big, I wasn't a big fan of it either. Um, I also thought like, I can understand why they're doing it, but I didn't think it was well executed because we didn't even get to know Layla before this happened. And there was, there was awkwardness in their relationship. We had no idea what that was about. She only had one line. We didn't really care about her. Uh, so I'm not really sure what they're going for. So I, I have to think there's going to be some flashbacks later on that tell us what exactly was going on and why we should care. And maybe there's some reason why it had to be her and not Master Luhan, um, you know, particularly in terms of later on his protectiveness over Fahil. Did it have to specifically be over a love interest or over a woman because of that? I don't know. I think there's too many un- unanswered questions right now, so I'm going to wait and see what happens. Awesome. But, but overall, I was not a huge fan of it either. So I hear you, Glenn. If anything, I'm just happy they didn't go the route of him just blindly rage killing her. Yeah, like literally hack five times. Like right, that I would not have been a happy. And that's what mm-hmm. people were theorizing way in the past is that 
he was going to rage kill her and like you know ten attacks on her. And it's like no, no. Uh, the Dude. way they the way they did it at least works in context for a show of how they went about it. Yeah, over what could have been. Uh, future wise, you know, I've said in the past that the way they did it can set up his obsession over protecting Ale, Fail. Mm-hmm. It yeah. can also set up why he didn't want to, you know, be friends with Fail at all. He like wanted nothing to do with her. And I can kind of see how that can play into that. And of course, we find out if she is a dark friend, you know, it gets yeah. over his grief a little faster. Because yeah. there's that whole question of why was the hammer yeah. like that, you know? Okay, so let's move on. Another turning of the wheel. Most significant, biggest changes the show made. We'll start with me, since it's the order we're going. Um, Did you already do it? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go something other. Oh, shoot. I actually did talk about it, but we're going to go back to that. It's uh, Matt Coughlin's family changes. Um, yeah, the characters, his sisters aren't that young in the books, but nothing and nothing in the text suggests that his parents are anything less than respectable but like i was saying earlier these changes really give let matt's character shine and i i it's the biggest one of the bigger changes that i saw but i think it actually works better on the show I, I, I think it works better for showing off Matt's personality than what Jordan did with the book, showing off Matt's personality in the first two books. Matt was a second thought in books one and two, you know, is really how Matt feels. You know, when you go back after having read all the other books or most of the rest of the books at least and go back and reread Eye of the World and Great Hunt, Matt's just, he's kind of there, you know, and, not much else. So, yeah, I'm going to say that for my answer for that one, the improvements on the Coffin family. Max? Just had it and then it... That happens. How about Grace goes? <laughs> well, I think we already talked about mine. I thought the parent changes were the most significant changes, and I wasn't really sure if for the better or for the worse just yet so we can skip mine and i agree on the mat changes okay so for mine i would have to say one of the changes that was kind of big but not big had to deal with uh basically not showing anything with rand we had some segments where we saw his you know thing with his dad and narg but we didn't get uh tam's fever dream talking about him being adopted Right. Uh, we just missed out a lot of that. I don't even think he told his son about how he got the sword. Right. Uh, a lot of those little tiny things, like the flame in the void, it's gone. And yet, we know if they went out and said, like, flame in the void, and it's parallel to Egwene's in the river, that we would go, oh, yeah, he can channel. So, to keep that mystery up, they're taking all the attention off Rand. I would probably want to say he had some of the least airtime, maybe, of everybody. I think Egwene probably gets the most. Oh, was it like, uh, I think it was the bath scene 
Lan asked uh, Maureen, who do you think it is? And went right to Egwene. Yeah. yeah. And then, then ran in the background like, huh? Yeah, I think they're definitely trying to point uh, everyone's attention towards Egwene, especially since she's the only one that we know now that can channel. And that's pretty much all they've said about the Dragon Reborn so far is that it's the most powerful channeler. Yeah. Um, but just based on her screen time and some of the camera angles and shots, it's very Egwene-centric right now. Somebody I saw on Twitter said that their husband, after they left the premiere, their husband hasn't read the books, but they left the premiere and their husband thinks it's uh, Egwene, it's the dragon. So it's working. Yeah. I've heard some parents out there. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Don't think anyone's predicted Matt yet. No. <laughs> God, I hope not. I wouldn't want to imagine Matt as the Dragon Reborn. My God. Road would be screwed. We've got our next section to cover. We covered all of episode one, and now we're on to episode two, Shadows Waiting. And our first, the want take, the outstanding good or bad moment of the episode. Who wants to volunteer to give theirs first? I'll go. Okay, Grace, what was your outstanding good or bad moment? My outstanding moment was a good moment, and it was when uh, I realized that we were getting the Minetherin speech. And uh, specifically during that speech, uh, when Maureen starts talking about Eldrine and the camera lingers on Egwene. I got chills. I thought that was brilliant foreshadowing and so meaningful. And I was already emotional because I was so touched that they actually put that in. I was fully not expecting to get it. And I could understand why they wouldn't. Uh, but I loved the way they reimagined it, just kind of casually on horseback. I think that made it a lot less like heavy handed and overly dramatic. I thought it was lovely with the song that they were singing. Uh, and it was just such a, made me feel very loved as a fan. What do you think, Max? I think uh, that part was pretty good, especially when Rand's being a sourpuss, but, you know, padding along. Yeah. Yeah. I I could have gone with several scenes. I mean, there was the cold opening with the White Cloak camp. There was Egwene and Moiraine in the forest at night talking about the, the three oaths and channeling. But it, it, even the scene with the, the White Cloaks and Moiraine meeting Jaffron Bornholt, that was a great scene. But wait for Manetherin. From the moment Matt started singing, I mean, I was leaning back on my bed watching, and then he started singing. Once I realized what he was singing about, I was up like this, like sitting real close watching because I just like, and I, I, I almost, I don't cry. I, I rarely get teary eyed anymore, but I was real close during that scene because you can't help but weep from anethrin and I don't it, it was it amazed me how well the the scriptwriter for this episode boiled down Moiraine's speech to just that and it it doesn't seem I mean I, I went back and I looked at the actual speech in the book and it's like oh yeah she did chop it down a lot but it didn't feel like it because it felt like she got all of it there. 
all the important parts there, but it was, I mean, I was happy. I, I don't care that it wasn't in front of all of Emmons Field. It was good enough. And it, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that was a love. That was a, that was a present to the fans, I think. That really was. It, it, yeah. it for me. Standout scene for me actually kind of has to do the testing that uh, Maureen gave to Egwene. Yeah. And it kind of shows the foreshadowing from just the first episode in the river that they really are thinking about these things. Right. Definitely. That, like I said, I almost put that whole scene in the, in the forest with Maureen and Egwene down. That definitely would have been a, on my list, but for the wheat from Manatharin scene. You know, and like you said, the foreshadowing with the river, yeah, that, that whole river sequence. Anybody who doesn't see the point of Egwene's you know, rite of passage just totally isn't really paying attention. I mean, it, it does so much. It, it gives you an introduction to a character you get a secondhand introduction to, you know, you get her as a point of view character instead of a you know Rand's viewing of her. Uh, you get an insight into a side of the you know Two Rivers culture, you know, from a point of view other than Rand's, and you get this amazingly beautiful scenery-wise metaphor. For channeling Sayadar. What's wrong with that? You know? Yet I see people complaining about that whole women's circle. Well, we got to that. No, I had the same one. I had the same one she did. So our next segment is again the Caverna of the episode. The choice of most valuable player of the episode, whether actor or crew member. I'm going to start this one, and, and you'll see a theme here in the next two episodes. That Barney Harris wins it for me. With I'll give credit also the designers who created the practical and digital sets for Shadow Logoth a close, close second. But Shadow Logoth was gorgeous, and I would have loved to have seen that city in its heyday. But Barney Harris is just, I can't say it enough. Barney Harris, Barney Harris, Barney Harris. It's a crying shame that we're not going to have Barney Harris season two and beyond. Donald Flynn, if Donald Finn has some big shoes to be stepping into, I hope that boy's as good as, as Barney. And of course, it's making me think that they should do Doctor Who with the uh, character of Matt, just a new actor every year. Every season, a new actor. Just, nope, okay, we got Donald Finn. Who's next? You know, so, every season, we cast him. So for my of the episode, you know, obviously, Maureen's story's good. But this is also the first episode we really got to see Rand actually act. And we really got to see that bubbling rage he has come out. And it does make you make me wonder in the future just how mad he's going to get. 
Will he get mad enough to kill the Sand People? <laughs> the Tusken Maybe. Raiders? Definitely. The women and the children? Yeah, he is a little hate Christian-y. But that's what he's supposed to be. He's a spoiled brat in, in a lot of ways at this point. I agree. Grace? Uh, so I also had Barney Harris as my yeah. Tavirin. <laughs> it's hard not to put him for every answer. Um, but yeah, especially during the conversation with Perrin at Shatter Logoth, uh, when they're sitting there and he gives Perrin the knife. Oh, yeah. Just the nuance of his facial expressions and the way he delivers his lines. He is a fantastic actor. And I loved that scene. It made me teary. Of course, it's easy to get me to cry. I'm the opposite of you, Glenn. I cry over well, everything. But <laughs> in my case, it's the, it's the medications that don't let me cry. So, so remember the he's not a bloody hero thing. He gave Perrin his knife, leaving him without a knife. Yeah. But his luck, he got a knife. Yeah. Interestingly, right after he was woken up, which came moments after Strange Wind started up and Shadow Lodoth. Moments after a strange whistling started. Yeah. And when was the last time we heard that whistling? Just as Pat and Fane's wagon came rolling into town. Yeah, I loved that. That was so cool. Yeah, I didn't know if anybody else picked up on that. I'm glad somebody did. Because I was like, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Do those two things, that's a little, ooh. Okay. The more foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that was Tavern of the episode. All three of us gave a Tavern? Yep, kind of. Did anybody have a dragon's fang? The Valda. Yeah, Damon Valda. Pretty great, despicable. Great scene, but yeah, Damon Valda gets a, a, a dragon's fang for burning that yellow at the stake. I mean, first of all, chopping her hands off and then burning her at the stake. Oh, and eating that, chick, that, that chickadee like that. At least it wasn't pickled. Right? <laughs> I mean, but especially not while watching a woman burn at the stake. Who do you think you are, Vlad Tepes? That was just... Yeah, I, I would definitely want to paint or spray paint a dragon's fang on Eamon Valda's tent. I am weirded out, though. I, I'm not sure if I like him being a questioner or not, but uh, I guess it works. He's taken over some of the role of, uh, what's that high, lower, high questioner? Asunawa? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting change, but I think it makes sense. Um, and I, it establishes sort of the different factions within the White Cloaks. You see the difference between Bornhold's interaction with Moraine and Valda's and um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens if Valda becomes Lord Captain Commander. Does that mean the questioners have sort of taken over the White Cloaks? Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. I just wish they had like the sunburst here and like the shepherd's crook there so like we could tell what mm. they were, you know. I miss would that, that your, the costume design. Would that be your another turning? Yeah, I mean, I do like the costume design, you know, the, the outline and design itself. It just, it's missing that little emblazoned gold 
sunburst and then you know the shepherd's crook behind it for the questioners mm. i mean it just it's uh, it's missing a, it, it's a lack of something but the rest of it's awesome but other than that i'm pretty happy with the way club costuming yeah i think they look super cool so for another tuning the most significant biggest changes the show made in adapting the books and how the panels felt about them whether they worked better or worse than the source material would have. How do you want to do? Do you want to go Max or do you want me to just go sure. with mine? Sure. I'd actually just say the, uh, the whole thing in Shadar Logoth. It's supposed yeah. to be a white mist, and as we know, it was a basically a black shadow. Okay. I do believe there is a visual reason for this, and that has to do with you know, episode six, The Ways. We can't have a black wind in a black background. You're not going to see this wind come at you whispering these things. It's going to be nothingness. So I think they swapped the mist for the ways so you can actually see it. Uh And the shadows in Shadar Logoth so you can also see it. I like that theory. That's a good theory. Yeah. See, I wasn't expecting to actually see the black wind and the waves, but I guess if you're going to, if they're going to show it to us, show it to us like you would expect, like a silvery white fog. Like, because mm-hmm. in my reread, audio listen, I'm actually in Shadow Logoth right now. So I was listening to that on the way to the store. And it's silvery. Yeah. I like the, I like the way they do Dead Mashadar and without naming it on the show i actually think my personal opinion is i think that they did it because it would look better than a silvery white fog floating around and reaching out like an amoeba and snatching people up and devouring them would look i I just don't think that would have looked good on screen i think that would have looked incredibly cheesy well even that's better than the guy bloating up and filling a room like out of willy wonka (laughs) yeah and that's how people convinced me that the more death scene as written couldn't have happened well either. My, Did you either you have one? Yeah, my 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 answer for another turning, but the biggest change I saw and I I I went with skipping over entirely Barrelon. I mean just entirely Barrelon and pretty much essentially going straight from they almost went straight from the two rivers to shout out Logoth, basically. And I think it was a little clunky. And I'm not liking it as a storyline, even if I like individual scenes. Um, My God, I, I really feel bad for Sarah. And she must have been she must have been fighting a losing fight for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like, no, you got to keep this. No, you got to keep this. And then getting overridden. And it just must have been frustrating as hell for her. And, you know, just the the writing staff and Rafe just going their own way and doing what they decided on despite her best efforts because I'm sure she fought to keep a lot of stuff that they ended up getting rid of. And I'm sure... Stuff with Barrelon and stuff between Barrelon and Shadow Logoth was there, and well, they did name 
drop it several times. So yeah, they drop you know White Bridge, Bear Lawn. Trying to think of a couple others, but no, like and I find it weird that Nynaeve catching up to them after Shadow Logoth instead of before Shadow Logoth. Just that's just all weird, and it's making me. It's almost like getting whiplash. I'm just like, wait, what? You know, so I don't know. Just the whole the structure just seems off. So yeah, I guess thoughts, Grace. I think I actually liked the naive cliffhanger. That was what I listed. Um, although I do agree, I'm a little confused how she tracked them down from Shadow Logoth. Like, did she? go through the city on her own or did she I think Lan and Moraine left the other direction like they went back the way they came so maybe that's what I was thinking yeah that, that's kind of what I had in my head but it just seems a little strange um and but did yeah she go back to the village after the cave and then go after them or probably probably that would okay. make sense yeah yeah she had different clothes I think did she Yes, she had changed okay. clothes. She was in okay. warmer clothes. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I mean, I couldn't help but love that last scene there when she's got Lan at knife point, uh, which yeah. I don't think we got in the books. Um, though. No, that was cool. But I mean, like I said, I enjoyed individual scenes. It's just the overall generalness of it didn't feel right. Yeah, should we move on to the next episode? Uh, yep, nothing under reading the pattern just yet. So I'm not sure which time we have left. Three. No, we're good. We're good. All right. I will start with my want take. This time, it's an outstanding bad moment. And that was the very awkward... And I use that word clunky and I'll even say contrived introduction and meeting with the tinkers. Mm. Without Elias there, it was really, really, really weak. It just did not feel right at all. I like the look of the tinkers, their, their feel. I mean, you look at them and you think, hey, this is a band of hippies. Right off the bat. The only thing they're missing is tie-dye shirts underneath all those layers of clothes. I wish their wagons were painted a bit brighter and more garish. I mean, okay, their clothes aren't going to be super bright because, you know, they probably don't have access to really bright dyes, but I'm sure they can get really bright paints, you know, and those wagons would look really, really cool if they were brightly painted like they're described in the books. I'd have loved to have seen that. But that introduction and meeting with them and the wolves steering them, herding them to um, the, the, the parent Egwene stuff leading up to that too is just it was it was awkward. It just didn't feel right. There was a uh, Twitter comment about the meeting of the tinkers, and they were saying like Aram's basically to his father, okay, boomer. Yeah. <laughs> and you, did you see the look on Isla's face 
there when she was completing the ritual. I mean, mm-hmm. she's rolling her eyes as she does it. I mean, even she knows this is ridiculous, but she's doing it anyways. I'm like, Ugh. I will say that first, do you know the song coming out of the fog was kind of creepy. Like just the way that it was said, it kind of caught me off guard. And I thought that was interesting. It was almost like menacing at first. Uh, but I agree, even like RM coming out and helping explain what they should do, I, I thought was kind of clunky and awkward. Yeah. It got better when they got to the campsite. I thought RM's performance was kind of charming at the campfire and, um, you know, seeing Perrin and Egwene start stuffing food in their faces, I thought was cute. And up till that point, I had been very concerned about them. And I just wanted to like give them a hug because they it was so bleak for them for a while. Um, right. So I enjoyed that, but but I agree that first meeting was was definitely yeah. awkward. Once they got to the camp, I was okay, but yeah. it was oh boy, yeah, <laughs> it was just it was rough, man. Grace, what was your what take? My what take was Tom and Matt at the end of the episode, just loved their conversation, loved their performance, loved the, you know budding bromance um they're going to be besties going forward in the books at least so i i love that they established this relationship and have tom sort of mentoring him and the the exchange of the the coins back and forth i just thought it was all really well done like that one too uh mine's related to matt mainly the part where he's like uh that's not how all roads work (laughs) Red. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So then Tavern for the episode. Max, won't we start with you? Go with the obvious, Nynaeve. Okay. Why? I liked her acting. Okay. Her segments of, you know, getting a drop on land, the collecting the herbs, which definitely goes back to what she does as a wisdom. Pretty much everything I saw, I liked what she did. Okay. Okay. Grace, what do you think about that? Good choice? Yeah, I agree. I can't wait to see more of Zoe. I feel like I missed her a lot in the second episode. And then, um, you know, she wasn't really in the end of the first episode after she got carried away either. So I want more Zoe. She was fantastic. You always steal the scene. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to see her and Matt together more. Her and Matt, uh, that or her and Barney, I should say. That just, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Who was who your? What was your 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 tavern, Grace? So mine is Azuka Hoyle as Dana. Uh, she was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I feel like she has now set the bar for all future dark friends. And I never thought I would feel empathy for a dark friend. I think the show did a fantastic job making it seem more understandable why somebody would want to become a dark friend. And you really cared about her and her lot in life and how she wanted to change that and um, why she wants to break the wheel. I just thought it was well executed. I thought her acting was fantastic. Yeah, and 
don't know. She did nothing wrong in my book. Well, if she sets the bar, you've just ruled out Pater. I mean... Yeah, poor Pater. <laughs> a little foreshadowing for us. We know exactly which Forsaken was her Dreadlord. Just yeah. by, you know, what her motive was. Yeah, well, she mentions him, right? Does yeah. she say? Yeah. I do like, have to ask, though. When did Ishamael bring Luce Theron to the Dark One 3,000 years ago? Unless this turning of the wheel, things played out differently? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not quite sure what she meant by that. It could just be a misunderstanding of history. Yeah, or they've been taught wrong by their dark one masters. <laughs> Fake news, anybody? Right? Yeah. Well, I hope they uh, they explain that a little bit better going forward. Let's hope. That didn't make a lot of sense. It made about as much sense as there are rumors of Fort Tavern and the two rivers. Yeah, I was going to mention uh how and who's saying there are top that 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 line just that I'll never get over that four time here the two rivers and, line. And if there were rumors of it, why didn't she just go straight there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how come the people in the two rivers don't realize there are four Tavern there? Yeah. If outside of the two rivers people realize there are people there are Tavern there. That's just odd. So I was going to mention that the whole Dana thing or Dana, Donna thing and the Ishmael connection with her whole about breaking the wheel. We know that's always been Ishmael's thing. He just wants reality to be done. You know? So I think we're going to start seeing dark friends who have various attitudes from their head dreadlord. Mm. You're going to that have a, a Grendel one that's all about you know, that stuff. But that's... Not, well. I, I think what that's her, how her motivation. Gonna, what her motivations are is debatable, but yeah, but I think that's how we're going to see them. Is like that's how they're going to recruit. You know, the Dreadlord and their underlings are going to recruit based on like what their philosophy is. It sounds like you're describing vampires from Vampire the Masquerade and their Methuselahs. It's the Forsaken personality test, like the Asadi and the Ajas. You know, okay. why did you pick this Aja? Why did you pick this Dreadlord? All right, so what's up next? We've got Tavern for both of you done your Tavern. Did you so do yours, Glenn? Uh, no, but can you take a wild guess? A wild Marty guess? Harris? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you guess? Uh, I, I, again, I mean, I, every scene he's in, especially the scenes with Tom, I mean, uh, Especially that scene outside with Tom, with, with Alexander Willow. It was just, yeah, I mean, uh, that scene out there with Tom, that, that was both of them. That was Willow and Harris together, but Barney Harris just, so far, he's, he's the standout these three episodes. I'm Absolutely. waiting to see somebody else, you know, take it from him, but yeah, it's him so far. It's him so far. Agreed. So I will start the next chap category. Uh, Dragon's Fang, I didn't have one. This I have a good one, episode. possibly, for you. Okay, go for it. Bialzimod 
and his torturing of um, Perrin with the the things of his wife. Oh, the dream. Yep. That okay. wasn't third, wasn't it? Yes. What? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was just confirming that it is third episode three where you know Perrin's being tortured in his dreams with the wolf eating Lila, and this is a dream put in his head from by Alzbon. It's a lot of mind torture he's doing to him. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I should have thought of that as somebody doing something to somebody. Yeah, a lot of people were wondering why the wolf was eating Layla, and did that mean she's a dark friend? But I interpreted it as Balsamon was controlling the dream and trying to turn Perrin away from the wolves because the wolves would be helpful for Perrin. That was my interpretation. And I just made note of the fact that the wolf was chewing away at the spot that Perrin's axe hit. Yeah. Layla. So it's just, it, it, it's symbolically representing the axe. Well, just a prior episode, the wolf was licking his leg wound. Mm. Well, that's something that your dog will do. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's, it's, it's the wolf pretending to be part of your pack. His pet, the parents pack. It, you know, wolves will. I don't, well, I don't know if wolves will do it, but I know dogs will do it to each other, as, as well as themselves. So, I would assume wolves probably do it to each other too. Yeah. Did either of you have any other dragon things at all, or just? Mine was that green stuff that Nynaeve squishes out of Maureen's wound. Mm. Yeah, that was gross. <laughs> they didn't need to go that far. We didn't really need to see the wound get squeezed out. That was a little unnecessary. I can still hear the sound effect in my mind. Of yeah, squishing. <laughs> yeah, that was unnecessary too. Will this mean we'll get a Doctor Pimple Popper episode out of this? Please no. Probably. <laughs> Please no. I'd rather not. I think she does a movie review, so. Oh, God. Max, you got another turning of the wheel for us. Changes in this episode, obviously, they merged a lot of dark friends into Dana. Yeah, um, they did. They pump-faked us, the fans, thinking they made her Dana, Thom's girl. So, I'm not no, sure that's did. a big change yeah. or not, but at least for us as fans, it's like it's just a, fake, a good fake-out. Not only was it a lot of dark friends into Dana, it was a lot of towns and villages yeah. into Breen Spring. Yeah. They couldn't exactly call her Millie because then we would know. So I thought that right. was pretty clever. Yeah. Or Samuel. Mm-hmm. Or Peter. Or, How- or Howell. My another turning of the wheel is all about what they did with Tom. Mm. Tom is well, I mean, a new introduction, new way to introduce us to Tom. Tom doesn't look like Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom's young. First of all, Tom looks physically intimidating. I mean, I would not want to be stuck in a dark alley with that man mad at me. 
not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I'm not sure I like Tom's attitude with that whole, you know, expensive lessons, you know, you know, the best, most, you know, the most important lessons are expensive lessons type attitude. You know, I just don't see Tom in the books having done something like that to two boys on the road that he meets at, even if he met them in the exact same situation, I don't see him pulling such a swindle on those two boys like that. But he refuses what, Tom, to... what Tom does with the IAL, yeah, that's Tom. That's Tom through and through. And what Tom does with letting Matt search through the IAL's pockets and all that, that's Tom through and through, including telling him, if you're going to take from the dead, the least you can do is help bury the dead. That's Tom. You know, all that. So while there's still Tom there, there's a lot of, who the hell is this going on? I mean, it, it, it's like it's we got Tom Waits, you know, Maryland going on here. And, and, and that's what it really feels like. And yes, I am going to pop a picture of Tom Waits up on screen when I say that. Someone on Twitter called him Tom Solo. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, he's, he's grittier and edgier than the Tom we know, but I think I like it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm glad he was there at the end of the episode. I don't know if he happened to be there or if he was following and was chasing along, like running along the side street over, you know, as Matt and Rand were running along. I don't know. But, yeah, just time doesn't quite feel right. In some no. ways, yes, but... I want to hear a different song from Tom. Yeah, I want to see, hear him sing more, too. But, I mean, his singing is why I say time waits. But, and he's more aggressive than our time. Mm -hmm. So can't say I dislike him yet. It just he's not quite the same. I think I recall someone said he was a he sang in Frozen. The actor I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. I, I read someone said something about that. How about you, Grace? Uh, my another turning was Nynaeve versus the Trolloc, which is something we did not get in the books, but oh. I very much enjoyed seeing. I kind of wish that I hadn't seen, there was, I don't know if it was a teaser or a trailer or something that came out before the show dropped, where we got to see that yeah. Nynaeve running away and hiding in the pool. Kind of wish that had all been a surprise because it was just so cool and it showed her resourcefulness, it showed her sneakiness. Um, and the braid flip obviously is part of that. So I was a big fan of that change. I thought it was a good change. Gave her something to do, you know, in the time between winter night and catching up with them as a flashback. And it just looked cool. Max, now you already gave yours. Yeah. So we're to the final segment of our show, the one we haven't done yet because it hasn't been applicable to the first two episodes since we had the third. And that's reading the pattern. It's our predictions for the next episode and beyond. 
based on the show so far and what we know from the books and trailers. I'll start. Um, I think this next episode, and this is, I think this is all pretty obvious. We're going to see more in Heal. Uh, we'll see a confrontation with her and the other Aes Sedai over what she's been up to and who Nynaeve is. And we'll see the, see the Reds try to steal Nynaeve off to take her to the tower. Um, we'll see some dragon sworn try to free Nilogain, causing a bunch of death, including Kareen. Uh, I think Matt, Tom, and Randall encounter a fade. The boys will attempt to flee while Tom fights it. That seems like we're going to see that because we've seen some of that in commercials. That's got to be happening around this time. Um, Perrin and Egwene are going to continue traveling with the Tinkers. And I think the White Cloaks will attack the caravan. Um, and everybody will scatter, and the two of them will end up with Aram. But the three of them get caught by White Cloaks. And Aram will get knocked out. And they'll get captured. And I don't know what's going to happen to the three of them after that. Or to Aram, at least. I know the two of them will eventually get rescued, but who knows what happens to Aram. But that's about all I got for predictions. And that's just what I think next next episode. I agree with that. And I would add, I think the next episode is going to start off with a Logan flashback. Just going based on the structure of the episode so far. Episode two, we had the Nynaeve cliffhanger. And then episode three started off with the Nynaeve flashback. Same thing, episode three ending with Loghain's face. So episode four, I think, is going to start in Geldon. And we're going to see him attacking the city and getting caught somehow. All that stuff with the from the, the Loghain teaser? Yeah, I think we're going to see we'll that. See. Yeah. So, Everything leading up to him getting caught by the Aes Sedai. The uh, IMDB page says, Maureen struggles with uncertainty while Lan struggles with their new companion. Rand <laughs> wonders about Matt. Egwene and Perrin take their first steps down a different path, and incredible new power is unleashed on the world. So the new power could be Loghain in the cold opening. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Land's new companion, I guess, is probably all the warders and Aja and all that junk. And, you know, we don't know if they recapture Loghain in this turning, or if Loghain's just off doing his own thing. Yeah. Because I would fall within the the new powers unleashed. Yeah, they haven't really talked about Sidene yet and mm -hmm. all of that explicitly. I mean, they had no, the cold not in the show. Yeah, but I do think uh, you know we saw maybe something with Rand in the door. I I personally think he was just really stubborn and broke yes. it down and didn't use the power. Like that's my theory. He's just really stubborn. I think and, he channeled. <laughs> uh, I think we might see something more channeling from him in episode four. In the books, we had, what, two or three times he did that we know of. There was Bella. There was the uh, the boat with uh, the Trollocs chasing Matt and them on the boat. Yeah. And he's up in the things. And then the lightning. And it was until the lightning that he got sick. He did get sick the other times. He got I think sick. the last one was the biggest he, sickness he, he got. 
he took the first time he channeled was channeling to Bella to keep Bella going. And he got sick from that, standing there in Barillon watching the white cloaks get splattered with mud. That's why he acted so good, stupid to the white cloaks. That was his first react. That was his first reaction to channeling. The second time he channeled, what was the second time he channeled? Oh, it was the the swinging the yard arm on yep. the on the spray around to hit the trollic, and his reaction to that was all up top at the crow's nest. Yep. The third time he channeled was the lightning, which he was sick for while riding in the back of, I think, Almond Bunt's car, or cart, mm-hmm. or one of the farmer's carts on the road to Kalen. That's what I meant by yeah. sick. Like, he was, like, down for yeah. the count, fever, yeah. the worst. That was, like, super sick. Yeah. So, you know, if they keep the three sicknesses, that he's was still got serious, two more. Yeah. Unless he did heal crisis. Bella and Maureen was just, you know, didn't get time to heal and notice. I don't even know if she got two. I can't. I don't know which horse is which on there. I, I don't pay attention to the horses that much on the show. Land so interrupted her before. She, Land interrupted her before healing the last horse, which was still standing up. The one she just healed was sitting down. Was mm-hmm. it one or two horses she didn't get to? I think it was. She was on her last one. Okay. Like she was going down the row, and that was the last one. And I think people said that was Bella. But Lan interrupted her, so maybe she didn't get time to go, oh, it's already healed. What the hell? Okay, I don't know. In the books, uh, was Nynaeve with there at the time? At that point? Yeah. No. No, I don't think no. so. Couldn't remember. No, Nynaeve didn't catch up with him until Barillon, and this is well before Barillon. Yeah. This is the first night. I want to say in the book, she thought it was Egwene that healed the horse, not Rand. No. She didn't even suspect anybody had, had given... Well, she knew it was healed. Yeah. And it was peculiar. All right, so... Oh, wow, we're done for that. Wow. Well, I think that's another episode, folks. Grace, thank you so much for coming on again. Yeah, of course, can, anytime. Can you tell us again when the, when is your show on? What night? So Threefold Talks is live streaming on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern uh, up through the end of the year. And then we'll probably go back to Thursday nights in 2022. And it's on Melkier's Talks, Melkier Talks Talks. YouTube channel. Yes. That's Rob's channel. Okay, awesome. Thank you for joining us. And everybody can reach you there on the Twitter handles on the screen there. Thanks for joining us, Grace. Everybody watching, thanks for joining us. Please leave a like, a subscribe, and maybe even a comment or two. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to be awesome.